Welcome to Arbor Bridge Church's weekly podcast with your teacher, Daryl Canty. Arbor Bridge Church exists to bridge the gospel and our community by connecting people to Jesus and each other. Visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com. So in the, in the movie, um, Man of Steel, that came out in 2013, a young man who ends up being the superhero that we know as Superman, uh, he, he like crash lands um, and this uh, as a baby uh, onto this farm. And so he, these, these two, these, these two, um, these two farmers there, uh, a married couple, they find him and they, they adopt him as their own. And a little bit into their raising him, they find out, they realize he has superpowers. So as he's being raised, as you know, as he's becoming older, his powers become more distinct. And then they, they have him hide his powers. So he's got all these superpowers, but they have him hide them so that he won't. Uh, they, they, I think that they, they're trying to keep him safe. And so the dad especially wants him to keep his power secret. Uh, so I intended to show you a, a video of this, but I'll just explain it. What happens at this part of the, one part of the movie is the person who becomes Superman, we'll call him Clark. Uh, he's angry. <laughs> he's angry at his father. And he says to his dad, he says, dad, I just want to, I want to help the world. I want to, I want to be able to give my life helping the world. And his dad is trying to explain to him, you know, now's not the time that this isn't the right thing. And he's, and he's, he's saying, these are the reasons why I want to, I want to keep the secret. And, Clark is really angry and he goes, he goes as far as to say, in fact, you're not my real parents. And obviously his mom, his adopted mom and dad are in the car and that hurts him. And they, he says, okay, that's fine. As they're driving up, they come upon, they, they see that a tornado is, is coming down and they get out of the car and they say, head for, head for the overpass. So they're all starting to run back towards the overpass. And they remember that they left their dog in the car. So they, so the dad says, everybody go, don't worry about it. You go, you're, you're good. I'm going to go get the dog. So when he goes to get the dog, then there's somebody else who needs help. So he goes and he's helping that person over there. He helps the dog. And he, when he gets in the car to help the dog, this car lands on top of his car. And so he gets his foot stuck. And when he finally, when, when, the, when the tornado brings the car up off of his car and he finally is able to stand outside of the car again, his foot's broken and he can't walk and the tornado's coming and Superman is standing over there and he's about to do, he's about to do his thing. He's about to do his Superman thing. He's about to run and save his dad. And his dad says, don't do it. Don't come. And he watches so Superman, the person who becomes Superman, watches his dad get swept away by this tornado. And it's, it's, a, it's for me, it's, it's such a moving moment where what kind of, I mean, I don't think my dad could say anything to stop me from saving him in that moment. But in that moment, Superman stays there, doesn't, doesn't save his dad. So he's got all this power, but he doesn't save his own dad. And it's such a, such an interesting thing. Such an interesting scene from that movie. It's a, great, it's a good movie. You should you can check it out. Listen to this verse. <clears throat> Christ lives in you. Christ lives in you. 
So even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The spirit of God who raised you, raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Now that's a superpower. That's a superpower. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living in you. Christ lives in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That is a superpower. That is a superpower. The Holy Spirit lives in you. What and what good, what good is a superpower if you don't know you have it or if you never use it? And you stand there watching people you love get swept away by life and you just... Resurrection power is in you, and I want us to release it to one another. I want us to do things that release that power to one another. If you have a superpower, let's use it. It is a, and it's a power that, if released, has the power to heal broken hearts, has the power to introduce hope, has the power to, to calm fears, has the, has the power to, to give life to people who are terrified it has the power to give peace who are afraid to build friendships that matter. It has power. It is a superpower that we are leaving on the table and I'm inviting us to release it. So the question obviously is how do you release that kind of power? If I have it, I don't know what I don't know. I have, and I don't know what to do with it. And I don't know how to bring it out. So there are many ways to release that power, but in this series, I want to talk about one. I want to talk about one. I want to bring up one to focus on. And I think it's relevant for us as a church and as a a nation right now, as we're trying to to bring things back together and live under a new president, it's relevant for us. And this is the way. You release resurrection power into the lives of people that you interact with when you can have relationships and conversations around difficult and touchy subjects and people you disagree with and you can love them despite that. Let me be more specific. That's that's typically when I make people mad. Let me be more specific. Um, I tell you, I voted for Donald Trump and you remain calm and you still seek to see value in me, even if you don't understand or even if you disagree. I tell you, I want to use these new transgender pronouns and even if you don't like it, if you don't like, you don't agree, you stay calm. You seek to see value in me. I reveal to you that I'm looking at porn and sleeping around and you stay calm. And you seek to see value in me, even if you don't agree or you don't like it or you don't understand. We release resurrection power onto others. When you create the kind of atmosphere that says, you don't have to agree with me, or you don't have to be perfect, 
in order for me to love you. If I'm anxious about you knowing that I believe something different than you think, something different than, 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 than how you live, but then I share with you what I think and what I feel and what I've done, and you remain calm. What does that say about our relationship? What does that tell me about, about and, and, and then further, further, since you represent Christ, what does that tell me about who Christ is? What does that tell me about who Christ is? It communicates Jesus loves me even when I don't agree with him, even when I don't like what he says, even when I make mistakes, even when I'm not reaching the mark. When you do that on behalf of Christ for me, you release resurrection power into my life. When I say something you don't like and you stay calm or I reveal that I've been bad and you stay calm, then I am having resurrection power released onto me by you're using your superpower. We can create, we can, we can use resurrection power to create atmospheres of healing by creating space where people can be wrong or disagree without fear of being forced into submission or shamed into silence. And our culture is not good at it. Wouldn't it be spectacular? Wouldn't it be unique if all of us were willing to do that? In our culture, it would be, it would be especially powerful if we could do, we could do it around a, a few issues. Race, gender, sexuality, and politics. If you did that there, you would shine like a city on a hill. So one of Jesus' closest followers named John wrote down this true story I want to share with you. Um, And it's a a story about an interaction between a Jewish man and a Samaritan woman. Um, And the story has issues of race and gender and sexuality and politics in it. And so I think we can use it. So I, I want to walk through it with you. I think we can learn from it. So this is how it goes. In the middle of the day, a Samaritan woman leaves just outside of her town called Sychar in a place called Samaria. And she goes to get water from a well and it's hot. It's hot. She's by herself, which is super dangerous at that. In that culture, it's super dangerous for a woman to be going anywhere by herself. When she gets up there, there's a, there's a Jewish guy sitting there almost waiting for him. And so if it's my daughter, I'm saying, turn around, get your water later. It had been weird because of the, for a few reasons. Jewish people hate Samaritans. They don't get along. So when you're walking up and you see a Jewish person, and if you're by yourself, go the other way. Jewish people would have called Samaritans half-breeds because often Samaritans were half-Jewish, half-Gentile. And many Jewish people found that disgusting. 
Samaritans were considered spiritually unclean to, to be avoided. So it would have been surprising for a Jewish person to be sitting just outside of the Samaritan town. She's probably thinking, get my water and get out of here. Feeling a bit nervous. Maybe, maybe some, of, some of you ladies have been somewhere, maybe at the mall or somewhere, and you're walking out to, the, out to your car by yourself in the dark. And you see, you know, you're going to have to pass and pass by some guy. And, you know, in your mind, you think it's probably okay. But that, that feeling of, I got to be, be on my guard. Be careful. That, that's probably what's happening here. It's probably what's happening here. She gives him to the well. And the Jewish man does something super unusual. He speaks to her. And, he, and not only that, he asks her for a drink. So in this culture, Jewish men don't talk to Jewish women, let alone Samaritan women. When you're in public, you don't, you don't walk up to a woman and talk to her. So very unusual for that to happen. Many often ignored women in public. Two, Jewish people thought Samaritans were unclean, so they would never, under any circumstances, ask to drink after them. When I was growing up, when I was growing up, one of the ways that, I, that we, my friends and I would bond, we would get, we'd get one Coke, and then we would drink after each other. All of us would drink after each other. Obviously, we went not in this. But <laughs> that is, you know, when we did that, it was kind of a way of saying we're friends. We're tight. A Jewish person would never, ever drink after a Samaritan person. If they did, they would become unclean. And they had this whole process to go through to become clean again, where they had to, they had to wash their clothes. They had, to, they had to take a bath. And obviously, they don't have baths. Like, so it's a huge production. So they would never do it. So when this man asks her for a drink, he's crossing racial barriers. He's crossing gender barriers. He, he's, he's crossing all these barriers. And what he's doing is he's trying to create an atmosphere. He's trying to create an atmosphere. He's trying to say, it's safe here. He doesn't get that yet. But what he's trying to say is, I'm crossing these barriers so that you know, you know, you know where I'm at. You know what it's like. And, and, and let, let me say it like this. Let me, let me, and maybe this would help. So it would be like, it would be like in the 60s, a white person, you walk in and seeing a white person drinking from the blacks only drinking fountain in front of everybody. If you saw that, that would communicate something about that person. He would be trying, unless he did it on accident, he'd be trying to say something. And people would be angry or that is what's happening. This is what that Jewish man is doing here. He said, I'm, I'm crossing that boundary. I'm saying something by asking you this question. So, so soon she says this, she says, why are you asking me for a drink? This is a legit question. Why are you asking me for a drink? And the man responds by saying this. Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I will give them will never be thirsty again. It, will, it becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And in real life, if you make that real, like if you're having a conversation with somebody and they start talking like this, you're like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? But do you see what he's trying to do here? 
He's trying to release resurrection power. I want to pour out power and keep you from being thirsty. And she doesn't understand. She's probably thinking, who is this guy? But for, for, so she, she says, okay, give me the water. Give it to me. Give me this water that like, like, keep me from being thirsty all the time. And the man says, that sounds cool. Let's do that. First, though, why don't you go get your husband and bring him back? And she says, I don't have a husband. And I'm guessing he leans in right here. And he says, uh, it's right you don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five husbands. And the person you're living with right now is not your husband at all. So when you say you don't have a husband, that's, that's true. That's true. Why bring that up? Why bring that up? For the woman, she certainly figures that, that I'm guessing everybody she knows knows she's been divorced five times. That in even her culture, that was unusual. Five times. Why bring that up? What's he trying to say? He's saying this. The bad in you, I know it. And I'm still with you. I'm still calm. Let me pull back what I know. I know what you've done and I'm still here. I'm still calm. I'm still with you. I know, I know the thing that you're ashamed of, that you're embarrassed by, that you're scared for people to know. I know it. And I'm still talking to you. I'm still crossing boundaries. I know about you. And, and I, when she's in the midst of that, she changes the subject um, and she starts to talk about religious things and political things. So Jewish people worshiped God in Jerusalem. And if you were a Samaritan, you couldn't worship God in Jerusalem because you're unclean which is very interesting. They will, Jewish people wouldn't let Samaritans into the temple. So about 400 years before Jesus shows up, Samaritans build their own temple over here. And that made Jewish people angry. And so they came and destroyed the Samaritan temple, which made for really good relations between Jewish people and Samaritan people. So she says, Jewish people say we're supposed to worship in the temple. We say we're supposed to worship out here basically because you guys won't let us into the temple. Where are we supposed to worship God? The Jewish man responds by saying this. He says this. He says, honey, listen. Pretty soon, the people who worship God are going to worship. They're going to worship Him here or there. They're going to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And when He says that, when He says that, He's basically saying this argument that you guys argue about all the time irrelevant, irrelevant. And for them, for us, we're we're like we're like uninvested in that in that argument between where they worship. But they, every Samaritan, every every Jewish person would have been very invested in that argument. And He takes it away. He takes. He takes that argument away. 
He's saying spirit and in truth are what are, what's, are what's going to matter. He's taking down one of the barriers that keeps Jewish people and Samaritans separate. He doesn't try to win that argument. And when he does that, when he does that, he reaches for the good in her and tries to bring it out. He looks to see the good and seeks to bring it out. He reaches past the mess. So it would be like this. If I had a bucket of manure up here, and at the bottom of the bucket of manure, I put $2 million, and you came up here and you reached your hand into it to get it. You release resurrection power into my life when you reach past all the crap that I have in my life to reach for the thing of value in me. Despite you disagreeing or not liking me or not liking what I think or not liking what I've done, when you see past that and you reach for the thing of value, that's what, that's what this Jewish man is doing here. He is He's saying, I know all the stuff you did, and I know all the disagreements, and I know all the fights between us, but your desire to worship God, I want to honor that. I'm going to reach past that stuff. I'm going to bring that out. Let's talk about that. You are going to be able to worship him in spirit and in truth. God's going to honor your desire to worship him. And finally, the final thing that he's saying is this. Our disagreements aren't the most important thing about us. Our disagreements, the things that we don't like about each other, aren't the most important thing about our relationship. Why is it then that I, I, the things that I don't like about what you think, I seem to elevate that to the top, top, top level? So finally, she says this. I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then the Jewish man said this. I am here it's me that's me and she finds out the person she's been talking to this whole time is jesus christ and in a 20-minute conversation jesus christ com- communicates to her resurrection power and the, the, the thing I, the thing that's really powerful about that to me is jesus doesn't show up and turn the water into wine or make the water flow up out of the well he doesn't, he doesn't make any outstanding miracles he doesn't do any miracles he just says i'm gonna release my resurrection power onto you and uses that superpower and that superpower is in me and in you. And you are expected to use it. You are expected to use it. And this Samaritan woman's life, the person who had been tossed aside and told she's, and obviously, those of you guys who study the Bible, you know, being a woman in Bible times just is awful. Jesus shows up and says, you are important. It speaks to so many levels of, of where she's at as a woman, as a Samaritan, as a sinner. And he gives life. He gives life. So I want to be specific about the, the, the things he did. And these are the things I'm asking you to do. These are, this is what I'm asking you to do. First thing, 
he commits to the relationship. He commits to the relationship. Jesus decides up front, nothing's going to separate me and you. Nothing's going to separate you from my love. Not race, not gender, not sexuality, not politics. Nothing will separate you from me. And so here, here's in these kinds of conversations before, if I'm walking up to you and I'm gonna, we're going to have a conversation about Trump or sexuality or whatever. What if you and I, before we said, let's make a little contract between us, nothing's going to separate us. And if you can't do that, maybe that's not a conversation we need to have. We decide that our relationship with each other, nothing will separate us. You can, certainly, you can reject my love, obviously, but you, when you do that, I'm saying to you, you can't reveal something to me about what you think, what you've done that's going to stop me from loving you. Typically, what we communicate is this. I can love you more by knowing less about you. And the more, you, more I know about you, the more likely it is that I'm not going to love you. So keep on talking. Keep on telling me your opinion. Keep on telling me how much you hate Trump. Keep on telling me how much you whatever. We can be friends as long as you don't share your opinions with me. Later in the story of the Samaritan woman, she, she's excited and she tells others, this is what she says. This is what she says. Come and see a man who told me everything I did. It's, but she, and again, the Bible, the Bible leaves off one part, so I'm going to add it to you. Yeah. Pastors are allowed to do this. <clears throat> Come and see a man who told me everything I did and still loves me. Because everybody in the town knows everything she did. What she meant to say was, and still loves me. When we do that for people, we release resurrection power into their lives. People who you don't have to pretend around. Commit to the relationship up front. Or don't have the conversation. Two, commit to creating the kind of atmosphere of the, the kind of atmosphere of acceptance that allows for resurrection power to be released. So Jesus starts, Jesus starts to create this atmosphere right away by initiating this conversation with, with a woman um, by, by drinking water after her. Um, immediately she knows something about him. Something is different about this guy. You and I need to create the atmosphere where it's safe to ask questions. Some of you grew up in churches where it was not safe to ask questions. Where it's safe to disagree. Some of you know friends where it is not safe to disagree with them. This woman is going toe-to-toe with Jesus. And he says it's safe. It's safe. You can ask questions and you can disagree. My tendency, one of the things I do, one of the... One of the bad things I do is this. Um, so if my wife, my, my wife, Montina, if she asks me a question that I don't like, then my response punishes her into submission. It means I'll, I'll be like super angry. Why are you asking me that? 
And what that means is don't ask me that kind of question. My response says, don't bring that up again. And we do that to one another. I respond, when you say something I don't like, I respond in a way that basically says, shut it up. That is not what we want to be as Jesus followers. So that I open the door. And again, Jesus does this for this woman. He opens the door so that she can say what she wants and that she can be. And in that culture, if you're a woman, you would never. He makes it possible. So here's what we do. Here's what we do. This is, this is those, of you have, those of you guys who have children, this is super. Your, your child comes up to you and they say something you disagree with. You're like, tell me more about that. Inside, you can do like the, ah, ah, ah. but on the, on the fake, because if you do that, what, the next time they have something to talk about, are they going to bring it up to you? No. No, they are not. You remain calm. So tell your face, tell your voice, tell your attitude. My body is under submission of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that when someone I love tells me something I don't want to hear, I don't have to respond in an awful way. And that is how you create this atmosphere around you where people know, I can say what I think around. And they still love me. They'll still be okay with me. And when you do that, God gets the glory. Let's do that together. Number three, in, our, in, in difficult and touchy, touchy conversations, we got to change our goals. You got to change your goal. If you never thought about what your goal is, it's probably to win. It's probably to win. That's my goal when I have these kind of conversations. I want to win. I want to be right. So when Jesus starts this conversation, you think his goal is to win something other than the relationship with her? He's not trying to win anything. He's not trying. Obviously, he knows everything. He can, he can shut her down. He's not trying to win. He's trying to release resurrection power. Into Often our, our, uh, our conversations about race or gender or sexuality or politics, that our goal is to win or to prove how wrong you are, put you in your place. And, and how, could, how would it change your next political conversation if the goal was to release resurrection power instead of winning? So next time you're talking about whatever political thing you want, in your mind, if you change goals and you said, I'm not trying to win, I'm not trying to convince you of anything, my goal is to release resurrection power into your life. Would it change what you say? Would it change how you talk? When your goal is a relationship and not winning or telling your opinion, when your goal is releasing resurrection power into the life of, of the people that you're with, you are more prone to listen you're more prone to 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 not we were, i was with some friends yesterday and we were talking about when we're in those kind of conversations you, you ever felt like you're in such a rush you got you got you got to get all your ideas out because god forbid you talk about this ever again 
where you're in that conversation, you feel like it's, if I don't say this, and, and I've been, I'll be in these kind of conversations. I feel like I'm about to burst if I don't get to say all my opinions and all my ideas. Because, and, and the funny thing is, is when I get to say them, people never go, oh, Daryl, wow, you are so smart. Thank you for sharing that. In my mind, I think they're going to, right? I was like, oh, if I could just share this one idea, they're going to, ooh, they're going to change their mind. And I mean, it never goes that way, right? It never happens like that. So what if I just shut up and say, how in this moment can I, Jesus, teach me what I can do right now to release resurrection power onto this person? Or see the good in me. See the good in me. And Jesus' conversation with this woman, there's lots of areas of tension and disagreement, and he weighs past that to look for the good. Jesus looks for the good. And in this story, in this story, it's, it's the woman's desire to worship God that he leans into and tries to draw out. And Jesus says something that she had never heard. He, she, he said this, God wants you. God values you. In your most difficult conversations, and this is super hard, so get, get, get ready. In your most difficult conversations, Look for the good in the person that you are talking with. Even if they are mean and evil and they are still a child of God. Made in his image. You can always look for that if you can't look for anything else. And every person possesses an inherent dignity and a value that's not based on them agreeing with you. or being good, or how they're acting in the moment. Because they act awful doesn't give us permission to act awful. Let me say that again. Because they act awful doesn't give you permission to act awful. So, and, and let me say this. Super relevant for us. During Donald Trump's presidency, certainly, he'd act awful. And for us, what we did was we gave ourselves permission to act awful in response. Look how awful he is. And then I am in your in our minds, what we do is we, he's not a person anymore. He's just this. And let me tell you something. If you do it in that context, you're more likely to do it see the value. So we learn how to argue by talk radio, right? Listen to talk radio. No, no, one, no one's trying to see the value in anybody on talk radio. Just trying to win. See the good and reach for it. If you can do that, you'll be releasing resurrection power with the people who disagree with you. That's powerful. So listen to this. <clears throat> 
since we've been united with Christ, since we've been united with Christ in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. So in just a few minutes, um, we're going to end the online version of what we're doing. And those of us who are here in person, we're going to take communion together. Um, and those of you guys who are at home, do I'd love for you to do what I'm asking you to do, to, to take communion at home, even if you feel uncomfortable, if you don't like it, if you don't want to. I'm asking you to, to stretch yourself, and I'm asking you to do it anyway, to do it anyway. During our, during our time of communion, I want to ask you to identify with Christ in his death. So what I, what I mean by that is think of his death on the cross and put yourself there with him. And, and, and let that death rules, rule you as you have difficult conversations with people you disagree with or don't like or you're trying to work through. In church, our solution is this. Don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. And what you're doing is this. What you're doing is this. You are standing by with all your superpowers on the side of the road while you watch your dad get swept away by a tornado. It's scary. It's difficult. It's challenging. But if you unite with Christ in that, then that's your chance at brethren releasing resurrection power because then you'll you'll be you'll be identified with christ in his in his life identify with him in his res, his life-giving resurrection so what if christ had the power to rise from the dead but he just didn't he just didn't then our faith would mean nothing our faith would be nothing we allow ourselves to identify with christ in his death so that we can put to use his resurrection power in our lives and in the lives of others. So, and now is the time for that in our nation. And now is the time for that in our church. So let's pray together before I end. And then, uh, like I asked you to, please, um, please take me. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information on our church, visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com.